Greetings, this is The Pub, Straylight Magazine's podcast about all things narrative, story, and publishing. I'm Dean Karpowitz. I'm Sarah Willis. I'm Trey Bourne. And I'm Daniel Morbach. Today on the show, Sea of Rust. Our first novel that we're going to review as a single episode. We're doing this in conjunction with a book club that we are all involved with. We figured we would share. Uh, we'll post on Facebook and our other social media. Anyone who wants to join, we can, uh, we can throw some questions out there. We're going to talk about these books uh, about 20, 30 minutes after the group meets. And so a couple of uh, things that we want to uh, let everyone know is we're, we're going to try and keep it minimal on the spoilers. Uh, we'll give you kind of a, an at the end, whether we recommend it, uh, but we'll try and stay away from the specific twists and things like that. Uh, and we will be reading some of the prose from the story after I give a brief summary of what's happening. So Sea of Rust is a robot tail. <laughs> Robots don't have tails. <laughs> robot dogs do. Yeah. There are animals. There are animals left, uh, but there are no humans. There are no humans whatsoever uh, in the story. Uh, it starts out, we follow a single robot on a sort of adventure tale. It's fun. Uh, it's suspenseful. There are a couple of sort of major twists and the, what would you call uh, the robot kind? <laughs> the, the future of robotity is at stake in the novel. So the stakes are large. I think that gets us to sort of where we want to be in terms of uh, the gen the very, very general plot. I was going to say it reminds me of like a, a Mad Max, except the robots are the ones fighting for survival. That's right. Not, uh, yeah, humans. it's definitely robot cowboys. Robot cowboys. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mad Max, cowboys, kind of a blend between the two. Uh, we decided that today Trey's... Southern, very sophisticated, aristocratic, Mississippi Yeehaw. <laughs> voice <laughs> would be best to read the first paragraph. Take it away, Trey. I will say that once someone once described my voice as uh, cotton candy uh, with maple syrup pour, poured over it. Oh. So, okay. That's a lot to live up to. Give me an and action. I'll clap. I waited for the green again, that scant little flash of green as the sun winks out behind the horizon. That's where the magic was, in the flash. That's what she said. That's what she always said. Not that I believe in magic. I'd like to, but I know better. The world isn't built of that. It's built of churning molten metal, minerals and stone, a thin wisp of atmosphere, and a magnetic field to keep the worst radiation out. Magic was just something people liked to believe in, something they thought they could feel or sense, something that made them everything more than just mechanical certainty, something that made them more than flesh and home. And bone and action, <laughs> not home. <laughs> it made me, <clears throat> that made me feel like home. It was sort of maple, <laughs> maple syrup. That's funny that that is the first, I forgot that was the first paragraph till I just read it, but 
the magic does that that is a theme throughout the book is yeah. magic yep i thought that this book was in terms of its prose that's the first thing we want to talk about i wouldn't call him william gibson or pynchon esque doesn't have really kind of cutting prose uh his, but he does have a certain prose style he can paint an image which is what he's doing there in the beginning and he also weaves those things in with concepts like here is the concept of magic and it's set against a certain backdrop. That's not, the, that's not the only place that we see that happen. So he's working with a uh, sort of multi-layered canvas in some ways in his prose. It's not a straight delivery. Yeah, I think at this point we should probably point out that the author is Robert Cargill. I don't think we've said his name yet. He, for those of you who like to read entertainment websites, especially back in the day. He was a longtime writer for Ain't It Cool News. I used to read that all the time back in the day. And recently he's done uh, several screenplays, including Doctor Strange, which I think really cool. of course was a huge hit. So he's a good writer. And I think that his prose definitely is a journalistic style. I mean, it's yeah. concise to the point. He does paint a picture, but it's not flamboyant by any stretch, but it's it's good, direct, concise language. Yeah, really de- easy to read pacing. Got through it pretty fast. It is a page turner. And I'll say as someone who's read a lot in the genre, uh, he can write a good action scene as well. Mm-hmm. He certainly gets you turning pages through those tense moments. We We have an older gentleman who's part of the book club who before he even showed up had said to me that it should be a comic book. It would be better as a comic book, which I found really interesting because I told him right afterwards, well, he wrote, you know, he co-wrote the Dr. Strange movie. He said, well, that makes a lot of sense. And I think some of the action scenes and the quips and stuff like that, that we get in the novel reflect that. Right. I don't know that that's a slight either. It is a very cinematic style of writing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's incredibly visual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would totally read an adaptation or a spinoff that um, took place in this world, uh, but leaned into more of those expressive visuals like you can get in a comic or hell, even an animated film. I, th- I think it is a very visual story. So we like the prose. We like the prose. We don't think that it's sort of uh, purplish, overdone easy to read, uh, but does have a unique kind of style to it. What about the characters? For me, this is the, the core of this book, really. Oh, yeah, definitely very character driven. He did. I think he does a wonderful job of the, with the characters because, I mean, think about it. These are robots. I think it'd be really easy for you to forget which character is which. But he does such a good job of defining each character and making sure they all have their different personalities, different motives. I was really amazed that I was really invested in robots. Yeah. I mean, they were characters. I, I, it, several times I forgot they were robots. Yeah, I will say uh, main ca- character is brittle, and she's pretty radical. Going into this, I haven't read a lot of robot stories, and they were a lot more human than I expected. Um, but I will also say he had a lot of clever little things to remind you that they're robots and also kind of explain some of the interactions that are different between them because they're robots. Like 
instead of having interactions where maybe you would um, be based on like race, they were based on like what kind of unit you were, which was yeah. like a really interesting take. Yeah, some of that carried over. Mm-hmm. What could they, what they could withstand? What kinds of duties they did? Those things yep. served as stigmas in some cases, and, yeah, and how they related to each other was a very human way with it being through the lens of robotics. It was an interesting twist. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about this. Like, what other books have I read with about robots? And he does an interesting take on Isaac Asimov's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, take on robots here too. And that's the only other book I could really think of were the Foundation books. But they didn't have the distinct, to me, there are more of these wise, evolved AIs that were here, you know, to, that were lasting generations and generations, but they really didn't have any personalities. Uh, here, they're very distinct personalities. And mm-hmm. I, I love Brittle, too. I thought she was, yep. her, I don't know exactly how he was able to paint her in such a way with such, well, I mean. I mean, I guess it's ironic, but, you know, and such human characteristics and, and you really felt like that she um, had some humanism to her, you know, and I thought that that was very interesting and yeah, radical in a way. I don't think I've ever seen robots portrayed in such a way. Daniel. Hi. <laughs> what do you think of the characters? <laughs> um, I, th- I think knowing that it was about, you know, post-humanity robot civilization it wasn't what i was expecting that's not a bad thing but you know it's you're reading them and they read very much like human personalities and i'm a little mixed on it but on that sort of approach but ultimately they provide good uh he provides good in narrative explanation for that how there's software and there's consciousness and there's hardware and there there is a certain for lack of a better way of putting it there's there's genetic coding in there that you are somewhat bound by your original framework design and you can move wherever you want within that those boundaries but you're still bound which so you can get you know people being um comfort bots or medical bots you get sort of uh, through line personalities. I thought it was at the end of the day an interesting take, but they do read as people. Maybe they don't read like humans, but maybe a better way to think of it is they read as people, which is probably the exact middle ground that the author was trying to strike. Yeah, I'll say that one of the things that I thought about, because I've read some books that do have characters like this. Not necessarily like brittle, but the iRobot stories by Asimov and the the three rules of robotics are dealt with both in this novel. And I've read the next one, actually, uh, which is a prequel. Um, And that one, Asimov's three laws are mentioned in both of them. So that's kind of a starting point. And in the iRobot series of short stories, which is what it is, it flips uh, robots as evil, flips that. And we kind of see how humans are the ones who are sort of more monstrous or more inhuman in a lot of instances than, than the robots. That's, that's something that's running through that. It's not quite that. And it's not Neil Asher's uh, brass man either, which is another book where the, where there's a robot as the main character. Um, That's more of a military kind of action book. 
And we get some of that here. And I'm kind of agreeing with Daniel that it's, it's this weird kind of medium, uh, this middle point that I'll get to in just a minute, because I thought in some ways it was also ponderous on some of the big ideas, evolution, humanity, fate, free will. We'll talk about those things in in just a minute with the themes, but the book does go there. It's not just a page turner. So for all of the talk about at the start of the show about how the plot is engaging and we did want to keep reading. That's the pros. That's the twists. Uh, The characters are still really central. You kind of fall in love with Brittle. And one of the New York Times top 10 books this year is Clara and the Sun by Ishiguru. And I think to some degree, it's, it's not that, you know, Ishiguru never really in his books, uh, Nobel prize winner never really gets into the technology of things. We do right. get into the weeds of that stuff here. Cargill has to give us what parts are going and what makes a robot tick, so to speak, where the drives are, where the data is stored, all that stuff. Ishiguru does none of that. It's more about the sort of humanity of it. A lot of this is very central to the plot where it's, I need these parts, I need yeah. these parts, and where can I get these parts, and, and what parts make us us. Yeah. It, it's uh, not just touched on, it's uh, through It's on. crucial. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I loved Claire and the Sun. I thought it was a really wonderful book myself, but that was, to me, it was more of a Pinocchio story, which is mm. a lot robot yeah. books you read are like that. You know, how can yeah. I be human? What does it mean to be human? Here, you, it's just not even an issue, really. It's, I mean, they do think about it. They do talk about the difference between robots and humans, but it's never, how can I become a real boy? Yep. I think it's really smart in a lot of ways because you know, where I was going was it's not robots. Uh, uh, there's a uh, robot uprising and they take over the world, right? It's not, how can I be a real boy? It's neither of those two things. He does something very clever, which he sets it in the future of humanity, that this is the next stage. And so that takes off the table, the, I really want to be human, the data, if you're a Star Trek fan, right? That tired trope really doesn't come into play, which I think is smart. And so he's not doing, he's not playing the same record to some degree. And I think puts him in in a tougher position as a writer because he has to get us to like Brittle because that's the hinging point, yeah. right of the story. It's going to be: Do we care about the about a non-human? And I, I think part of that was there's a twist at the end of the first chapter where you think she's a caregiver, and it's like mm, this guy was dying anyway, going to take his parts, and I, I yeah. think. Yeah. It didn't get me on her side, but it yeah. was like, okay, okay, interesting. I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm going to yes. hit around for her ride a little bit longer. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting in that the robots in this story are, instead of wishing to become human, are almost forced into a more of a human role without yeah. getting into the biggest uh, uh, details of the plot. They lose the ability to source parts. So while they should be immortal as, you know, mechanical creatures, they now are fighting, you know, the most relatable (laughs) problem for humans. Their their bodies are giving out on them and their and and their minds are giving out on them. This is not we're not in the we're not in the Star Trek age of post scarcity. 
In fact, we are in hyper scarcity. Most scarcity. Yeah. Yeah, and and playing off the whole Pinocchio thing, the way that they present the robots is is almost like why would I want to be human? That's like a human wanting to be a chimpanzee. Like mm. and not even in a derogatory way, just like it's it's one step backwards and you know we're robots and that's just what we are there's no like poeticalness to being other it's it's what we are and we just got to find the parts to keep ourselves alive because we like being alive yeah it, to me it was they felt like they were better than humans i mean they yeah. <laughs> i think a couple of times they said that maybe not in a very um cocky way but the next step in evolution is I, I think that's the way Brittle described them robots several times and better than humans. So they didn't want to be human. They felt like they were beyond human. But I do think that's very interesting. What Sarah said is that they're more human than they know because they are going to die if they don't find a way to survive. And that is a lot of, you know, these dystopian novels, Mad Max, that is, you know, they're looking for water you know, to survive in Mad Max. Here, they're looking for parts to survive. I'll say that from the first paragraph, the paragraph that Trey read, the problems of the characters are quite human, not in the, their own more, simply their own mortality, but that idea of magic translates into, is it just, is, are we just our working parts or is there something that transcends that? That's at the beginning of the book. We return to it later on. It becomes one of the themes. And that's one of the things that we want to touch on in these podcasts as well is the, is the themes of the, of the book. What makes us who we are, right? What makes us, whether it's human or in this case, I don't know, just a non-human kind of robot as a person, what makes us a person? A thinking thing. A thinking thing. Yeah, a thinking thing. Uh, what is that? And the, the same problems exist. Is there something else, right? Is there a soul, a spirit? Is there magic? That question is raised on page one, and I think the novel does a pretty good job of dealing with it. Doesn't just drop it after page one in, and supplant it with the fast-paced action of the book. It does pause uh, several times throughout, and we return to that idea at the end. So that's one of the themes. How about any of the others? Yeah, one of the um, themes that we've already touched on, and I don't want to give away much, of course, because there are several different twists that were, to me, were very surprising. I didn't see a couple of them coming, is evolution. What is evolution? Do we evolve mechanically? Do we evolve? How, what does it mean? Like you said, does our, do our souls evolve? Do, what, what does it look like? I thought that was very interesting, his take on it all was very interesting to me. Well, even just trying to whittle down the preciseness of consciousness, uh, one of the conversations mm -hmm. is what, what makes us us, what makes us individuals and conscious, and somebody said, eh, nobody knows. And it's kind of, it's the same with humans. Yeah. We don't know where, where is the consciousness part of the brain? Uh, freak if I know. Yeah. We're in most robot stories, like it's, We'll just run a diagnostic. I'm sure you can find it in there somewhere. As but it's no, there's there's a mystery to consciousness. 
in, in whatever its form. And I, I think that also fits with the idea that robots are not this aberration on the planet. They are an extension of human evolution. I mean, they yep. were made and built and evolved and grew conscious in human image. So it's it's a uh, it's it is the next step, not just we they sprung out of nothing, and it's handled well, right? Yeah, I would say so. I'll say the novel also deals with some larger ideas in in choice, in free will, and I think this is maybe for me one of the most sophisticated elements of the book because it tackles something that's difficult, which is okay. I'm dealing with something that's programmed. I'm dealing with a robot. It kind of takes head on and relates it to us by extension, the, the, the people that are reading it. The idea of uh, what our actions are based on and whether we can break our programming. The, the, the novel actually deals with this, not just in terms of robots, but with people as well. It's just another form of predetermination in some ways in on one side of the debate we do have free will on the other doesn't matter whether it's synthetic or flesh or or organic in the book and i think it does a really good job of dealing with that question yeah one of the examples the the thought experiments that the robots are talking about because sometimes they just sit and ruminate on existentialism and not mm -hmm. just uh, run around the desert shooting at each other is uh, if you have two robots of, of a, the same design, um, the same build, same make, same model, same hardware, same RAM, same software, and you turned them on and they had the same experience and they achieved consciousness, do you have the same person? And you know, one person at one point says yes, and another person at another point says no. Which, I mean, what is that? That's ultimately just uh, a twin experiment. Yeah. Right, which has been done countless times throughout history. If you take yeah. quote unquote the same person with different experiences, how are they going to react? Yeah, they had a really cool line when they were talking about that scene. Where it was something like the act of thinking in and of itself changes us, which I really liked. We, we touched on the way they dealt with Isaac Asimov's, you know, laws of robotics is the choice to not obey the laws. Yeah. And how that makes you human. That's one of the things that or gives you a consciousness is being able to know what the rules are and break them. Yep. And I thought that was really interesting take on free will. Yeah, it doesn't shy away from it. And the thing that I thought was really nice about it was I had an old professor who used to just kind of rib on science fiction all the time and say, well, look, you have people hanging out together, falling in love and... Uh, committing crimes and doing all these things. Why do they have to do it in space? Why can't they just do it on Earth? You know, everything's cooler in space. Yeah, it's cool. That's why. Yeah, it's cool, right? You know, and one of my things was sort of, well, you know, did you know that the first interracial kiss, you know, there's that happened on Star Trek and it allows the, for this canvas to talk about social things that you might not be able to talk about uh, at the corner diner, you, you know, it would be scandalous or whatever. But I think in some ways this book does something sophisticated in that light and that I asked the question, well, so why robots? What's the difference? Is it just a fun, you know, romp or for 300 pages or whatever? 
And I don't think it is. I think to some degree it's supposed to level the playing field for the reader and, and have us asking questions that are more subtle than simply uh, humans are more inhuman than inhumans. Like the walking dead thing that we got hammered with for eight seasons or however many seasons too long it's been going on for, you know, where we're more of the monsters than the monsters. This isn't a book that does that. It does something a little bit more, more subtle. I do want to uh, give uh, time for what we didn't like. You know, this was a book that I would say is, is, is good. And we'll talk about our recommendations, whether we rec- recommend it at the end, but there was some stuff that bothered me. And I think there was probably some points that bothered some of the others on this podcast as well. I, I did have highs and lows. Like I, I wasn't a big fan of the, the spaghetti Western opening for like the, free, it just kept going. It was like the first, four or five chapters and where she's being hunted and, you know, she confronts them and she moves on. But then it, it kept intercutting that with flashbacks to talking about the uprising and talking about humanity versus robots. I really loved those parts. It got into um, philosophy and the litigious side of deciding if a robot is pers- is a person. I really liked that. And then... You know, the OWIs were introduced and I was like, oh, hive mind. I've seen hive minds before, but I liked how they did the hive minds in, in this book. So was, that was another high point. And then mm-hmm. we saw the, the Mad Max crazy town and I was like, I don't, I don't need crazy town robots. I wasn't a big fan of Cheshire bot man. So it <laughs> kept on man. going like highs and, highs and lows. For, I don't even yeah. remember his name. Highs and lows for me. Through, at the end of the day, I, I did like it, but because mm-hmm. there was enough highs in there, but the, the parts that I didn't like just went on too long. Yep. I'll piggyback off of that and say uh, I, I liked the Spaghetti Western. The beginning wasn't too bad for me, but it did reach a crescendo. There's a midpoint with the, the weird, crazy robots. And it, like in theory, it seemed interesting, but it got a little too cheesy I guess is the word I'm looking for in the action that was a little much for me some of those characters were a little out there for me otherwise I would say the rest of it I really liked I would say that was the only part where I was like a little like okay let's uh, get on with it and the rest was pretty good first of all let me just say Sarah Star Trek was a tv show um and that talked about space and the future Mm-hmm, yeah. In case you didn't know. Thank you for the information. Anyway, I just thought I'd give you a little <laughs> little history lesson. Okay. Um, the, I, I somewhat echo what Sarah and Daniel said. The thing that really bothered me, and we brought this up in our book club, is the Star Wars, you know, stormtroopers. You know, they would just fire and fire and fire, and no, no one would ever get mm-hmm. hit, right? I mean, you know, stormtroopers are the worst shots ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it just seemed in this case, I mean, it was like battle after battle after battle and no one ever hardly ever got injured, you know, <laughs> yep. Yep. just to me after like the fifth battle, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Another battle, another big battle where they're bringing out a bunch of more and crazy robots and spaceships or tanks and they still didn't get, you know, injured. About the fifth battle, I got a little tired, but everything else in between I thought was really interesting. I, I really liked the flashbacks that Daniel brought up. I think that those were the most interesting to me, going back to 
you know, the rise of the AI and and how things went wrong and the litigious nature of you know what 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 makes a human and what doesn't make a human and why they decided to decide that robots were humans and and things like that I thought were just fascinating. So I overall I really enjoyed it and I would recommend it. So I will say I also had some trouble with the logistics of the way things were described, which I think is a minor thing. It was more of an annoyance than made me want to stop reading. I did think that it sort of mails it in with the way it deals with the idea of slavery. I think that's a kind of afterthought um, that the robots are servants. And I'm guessing because that, that theme has been really hashed and hashed again, this was not a book that was so much about that, but it calling it slavery and then not really dealing with it as one of the sort of stopping points, the meditation points in the book did bother me a little bit. It was more throwaway than I would have liked to have seen it in terms of the themes of it. So the harder, you know, the harder hitting things in terms of the, the critiques that I would give. But overall, I would say that I would... I would give it a new core rather than throw it on a scrap heap. <laughs> wow, Dean. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> yes. And I think that, isn't that the consensus? Would we all give Brittle a new, we would all give Brittle a new core, right? We should, Absolutely. someone should go out. Yeah. This is, this is a book. Give we think me people, a, I give it a thumbs up. Yeah. It's worth a read. I'd, I'll give it a solid B. Yeah. Maybe it's a B, B book. It's a hundred percent a B book. B book. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's enjoyable. Um, yeah. I, I'm by no means mad that I read it. I think I'll read the, the prequel book. I don't know if a, if a sequel book has been announced or not. But I don't think it has. Um, it does leave off open for a sequel. Yeah, it does. It certainly yep. does. I, I don't tend to like big, giant franchise trilogy yeah. books. Like, I just want to read a book and go <laughs> But, yeah. I love a solid duology. I'd, I'd be happy with, like, you know, one more book. And it's short. I think it was 300-ish pages. All right. So we all agree. If you're interested in this sort of thing, Robot Tales, Sea of Rust um, is something you should definitely uh, check out. We had fun reading it. We had fun talking about it. That's all we have for today. The pub is produced on that series of tubes that we all know as the internet from the studio at Underdark, which doubles as my basement and office we post new episodes every Monday, and you can listen in wherever you download your favorite podcasts. You can also find us at straylightmag.com, where we publish new poetry, stories, art, and, of course, podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at The Pub Podcast on Twitter. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Pub, Straylight Magazine's podcast about all things narrative, story, and publishing. 